Hello, this is Ian McNabb from the Icicle Works. And you're listening to the New Wave Music Podcast. Welcome to another special episode of Don't You Forget About Me, the New Wave Music Podcast. I'm T-Bone, and I'm really thrilled to uh, let you know that Steve had a chance to talk to both Clive Farrington and Andrew Mann of When in Rome. So Steve, take it away. Today I'm joined with Clive Farrington and Andrew Mann, who are behind the band When in Rome, and you no doubt have heard their iconic song, The Promise. Clive and Andrew, thank you so much for joining me today on the New Wave Music Podcast. Thank you. Clive, I've got a quick question for you. I've heard before you were in when in Rome that you were actually a drummer in another band. Is that true? Well, weirdly enough, I was a drummer. Originally, my first interest was drums when it came to music because I, I used to hear this guy up the road uh, on Meadow Way, um, which was just about 100 yards away from me, was, the, was a doctor's surgery and there was like somebody practicing there pretty much every day and i used to kind of get uh um what do you call it it was it was like ma- magic to my ears and it, i kind of followed the music as it were and i went up to the top of the road and used to listen to this guy rehearsing turns out it was uh a guy called simon wollstonecraft who went on to join the fall and he had a he he had um an interview with the smiths he went for an interview with the smiths and uh I didn't join them because he actually practiced with them for a day and they would get, because they all went to pretty much the same school. So at Stone Roses that uh, Ian Brown went to the same school as uh, this guy that I'm talking about, the drummer. So it, anyway, this guy started me off on drums. So at five, six years of age, that's when I started playing drums. But anyway, the funny story with Simon is he's written a book called um, You Can Drum But You Can't Hide. And it's all about your time with the fall. And uh, and he, he mentions the fact that he went for the interview with um or the, or the, uh, whatever they call them, rehearsal with uh, with the Smiths, but Morrissey was not there, so he was he was rehearsing without Morrissey, uh, and he was he said he was really enjoying it. He says when Morrissey arrived, he says he just didn't like he, he didn't can't quite get the right vibe out of uh, Morrissey, and he, he he said I can't I'm not joining. <laughs> this was before they were successful, of course. He, he said he, he says he doesn't regret it, but it was uh, something that he'd be it was a missed opportunity for him. But that he he's the guy that kind of started, got my interest in drums. So I actually played drums. I was very I, I, my mum and dad used to make me play for the family and everything else. My aunties and uncles would come across, and mum and dad say, "Oh, show them how you can play," all that sort of stuff. I used to show off on them, but I never uh, really. Um, had the desire to join a band playing drums. I, I actually joined the school band. I was a school drummer uh, in the school band, but never was a drummer in. Uh, I, I, I didn't even dream about being a drummer in a band, but I loved. I just loved drums, you know. And then I got a job at an engineering factory, and they, they were looking for a bass player because the bass player was ill in a little cover band that was the, that was that was doing the South Manchester circuit. 
Uh, and I said, no, I can't play bass. So I went out to, uh, uh, and, oh, he, was, he went around the factory asking people if they could play bass because their bass player was ill. Came back around to me. He says, Are you sure you don't want to. And they had a great drummer already, a guy, a guy called Graham Mather. Who, who got, so I, the drums job was was not open. So I said, I'll tell you what, then I'll go to Woolworths at, on my lunch. Instead of having my lunch, I'll go to Woolworths. And I bought myself a $30 uh, Epiphone copy acoustic bass. Uh, and I got them to transpose all the songs to E, A, D or G so I could keep the strings out so I didn't have to do anything with the left hand. So I was doing all the plucking and stuff. And, and so it, that's what got me playing bass. And then I used to watch Bruce Foxton on television, the, the, the jam playing bass. And, and he was one of my uh, sting. I, I used to watch them playing with headphones or, or or just have the neck of the guitar against my ear and just feel the vibrations and play along with those guys, you know. He's uh, a very talented man, Steve. He can play drums and bass and keyboard. Oh, and a bit of trumpet and bugle. bit of trumpet. He does a lot of trumpeting, actually. He does a lot of trumpeting. But... He's just a yeah. one-man full band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just a gadget guy, you know. I mean, it, if something comes out that I, I just like the look of, you know, I mean, the look is more important than the actual way it sounds. If it sounds like a piece of shit and looks great, uh, I, I think I think that's more important to me, you know, because you, you, I think I think that goes in hand in same with fashion and music, you know. I think that goes in hand in hand because uh, you know when you go to see it, if you go to see a cover band, for instance, and you hear them rehearsing, and then you jump on stage in the same clothes that they were doing the sound check in, you think you know you, know, you kind of uh, yeah, you, it's not worth the money that you paid. Half of that money should have gone to the way that they. It, yeah. I, I'm a great believer in um, theatre in music as well as the actual musical content. Uh, so, so lighting and everything interests me, and uh, you know, just the stage atmosphere. You went from early on from drumming. Uh, eventually, you and Andrew formed uh, When in Rome. How did that band, or how did that band, kind of take shape or form? Um, I, I I was working in the post office. And um, I told Clive this story the other day, which he didn't really know. And um, it was full of characters. And I decided that I didn't want to be, live there all my life and be there. And I, at the time, I was sort of getting into like the beat American poets, um, Charles Bukowski and stuff like that. And there was um, a, a, a poet on the scene in Manchester uh, called John Cooper Clark, who is a very interesting chap who I ended up doing some gigs with eventually. And I decided that poetry was my way out of the post office. Um, so I started writing some, and one day a friend of mine, he just joined the Buzzcocks as a bass player, uh, Paddy Garvey, who now lives in, uh, he lives in Virginia, I think, somewhere like that. No, Pennsylvania. He said, oh, I'm going up to see this band up in Presswich Village, which wasn't far from me. And, uh, I'd not met Clyde before, but I'd heard about their band. And uh, I went to see them and was really impressed and then talked to Clive afterwards, sort of introduced myself. And I said, look, I want to start putting some music to poems. Um, is there any chance of you, like, trying to help me out here? And he said, yeah, no problem. Anyway, I didn't think much of it. And then I think I got a call from Clive saying, why don't you come and read some of your poems and we'll put some music to them. So I went over to his place and he used to have a little studio in the garden. We we did some funny little tracks and stuff like that. And he said, you know what? He said, why don't you try singing? And I said, I ain't really got the confidence. Um, he said, no, you just give it a try, give it a try. So we did from there. And I suppose that's how 
when in Rome started to be evolved, really, you know, I got a bit of confidence and we both sort of were interested in a lot of the same music of the time, the genre of 60s and 70s combined with like soul and bands like the Walker Brothers and things like that. We, we you know, which had a dual vocal. So we sort of took that on board and um, we tried to work that way. And that's basically how When in Rome started to get a sound, I think. Yeah. So, so what Andrew was actually supporting me in a band called Bow Leisure prior to When in Rome. So, so Bow Leisure had kind of run, run its course. We'd had so many, you know, you know, we'd had different agents and managers saying, oh, the record companies are coming down today. You're going to get signed today. You go, oh, today's the day, blah, blah, blah. But it never really materialised for Bow Leisure. So yeah, I think it was time to move on. And uh, Andrew was supporting us at the, at the time. So I decided or we decided to, that we'd cut ties with Bow Leisure and start, start something brand new before we'd even thought of the name of the band. So the band was formed before it was named. Yeah, yeah. Um, and while I'm thinking about it, the way that the band was named, Andrew was living in, I call it the perfect storm because what happened was when we asked Andrew to join us as lyricist, I was not very strong on lyrics. That was the reason. And then I knew that Andrew did, did the poetry. So I thought, let's get somebody in that can write lyrics. And at the very same time, he was moving down to London. He, he, so of course, by that time he'd moved down to London, it was exactly the same time that we'd put this little demo together that before we'd named the band or anything, we'd put a, a little demo down for the promise. And I'd sung the first verse uh, and the chorus. Now the, the, the neat thing about the promise, I guess, for want of a better word, is that uh, that, that the, the first verse and the chorus was written without writing it down. So it was written to the mu it was sung to the music, as it were. So it was sung straight onto a little cassette, uh, onto a little four track uh, TIAC. We sent that down. Of course, it's way before the internet. You know, you couldn't send an MP3 in seconds. It was, uh, <laughs> he had to wait for it. We had to post it off. Funnily enough, he used to work for the post office. He would have come in handy then, wouldn't you? <laughs> I could have delivered it a lot quicker, really. <laughs> it took about two weeks for it to get down there with just the verse and the chorus on it that I'd cut, that had come straight out of my head. And people always ask, what's the song about? And I really don't know because it just came from nowhere. You know, it was not there was no physical person or anything that the song's about. It just came. That, that lyrical content came. So the, we sent that then down to Andrew. It took about two weeks for him to get it. Then he writes the second verse, which is the one that starts with "If uh, when your day is through uh, and so is your temper, blah, blah, blah. So he wrote that. And that's the way we wrote all of our songs. We wrote all of our songs in that way. Sometimes Andrew would come up with the first verse and the chorus and I'd polish it off with the second verse. When you guys were writing the track, The Promise, did you have a feeling that when that song was, as that song was coming along, that it would be as successful as it is? After Clive had sent me the cassette, I sort of... Um... I'd got in with a crowd of people in London who my cousin, he had a, a, a clothes shop, which um, lots of like, it was quite an expensive y Yoji Yamamoto shop and stuff like that. And cool clothes. They used to get like A&R men coming in. And I remember just shipping the demo around and playing it to people without the second verse. And people went, you know what? There's, there's something really good about this song. And my cousin said to me, there's a guy from a record company comes in here buying his suits and stuff and clothes and that. He says, why don't you play him? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. 
so it sort of that started to generate then we got the second verse recorded of course i had the full thing then and i went to I, luckily i got in to see quite a few a and r people and everyone was like jumping on the roof about it they were going this is brilliant but you've only got one song so we, we came up with three other songs and uh i could see that there was interest in quite a few record companies with it so we played it from there and then our sort of our next move was doing like a showcase uh to play in front of um a and r people and one a and r man was just like yeah every day was ringing me going i'm going to sign you guys i'm going to sign you and that's basically how how the link happened from the demo being from one verse to being a song to being signed. Yeah. And it's a great thing. I mean, for 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 bands that are just starting out, that's a great thing to think about, really, because a lot of bands just go gung-ho into writing uh, and writing and writing and writing and writing, but you only need to, to break. Well, Soft Cell are the greatest exact, one of the greatest examples with Tainted Love, and it was a cover number. You know, their first big record... Soft Cell was uh, that 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 big song Tainted Love, which was an old '60s Northern Soul track. But it, but that's what made that's what gave them their momentum to 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 write their own stuff. And then when you think on the other side of the coin, OMD did it completely the opposite way. They they were, I guess you could say, lucky in the in the rich seam of writing that they got all those tunes. Because if you go to see, I mean, I've never seen that. Oh, we have seen OMD live because we've, yeah, we've yeah. actually been on stage. We played with them. We played with them at yeah. uh, the only a few songs, of course. But when you go and see a, a cover band that's doing uh, or an OMD tribute band, you realize how many there's about 20 songs of theirs that you could say that are uh, surefire hits. This is where I say we were very lucky in being the one hit wonders that we are because I think we may, you know. Uh, and and uh, OMD are very much like that. And Soft Cell, they've survived this business without getting mixed up with all the crap that goes along with the business, you know, where, and, and Duran Duran is a great story as well because they got lost in the business at one time and then they, they, they came back. And for us, having just that one hit record, it allows us a little bit of time to be with our families. We don't, not touring all the time. We can kind of pick and choose where to tour and stuff, uh, which is really important. I believe, because um, I, th I think that's what causes problems with these people. I mean, only last week we lost that guy, 34-year-old Aaron Carter. You know, I mean, that was through, you know, obviously not being looked after. He, he, and he's, he was away from his family and everything else. So uh, we're very, very keen on keeping our, our feet on the ground, as it were. Well, you, you guys may be known for The Promise, and you're no doubt the mega hit on the album was the, the song The Promise. But that album also features some outstanding songs, such as Heaven Knows. Heaven Knows. And if only. Do you guys have a favorite track, or do you guys still get out get a chance to play some of the other material? Yeah, we um, we feature all those in the live show. We do Heaven Knows. And to be honest with you, people come up to us and prefer Heaven Knows to The Promise. Quite a lot of people. Yeah. 
And if only Clive, Clive sort of stripped If Only down and made it a live song now, and it really works well in the set. Um, I think from it being that sort of ballad and a bit sort of gung-ho on the album, it's got another feel to it now, and it's a different song, but it's, you know, it's still got the same inclinations of what the original song was. Yeah. But it's surprising that you, I mean, only the other night when we played the uh, Old World bit, the, the Oktoberfest, which was fantastic, by the way. But at the end of the night, a guy comes up and says, Why didn't you play something going on? Well, I know there's something wrong. Yeah. Something going on. I know there's something wrong. Yeah. yeah. Something going on. Yeah. yeah. Now I know there's something wrong. And Andrew doesn't really. I hate that. I hate that. I mean, I'm I'm not a great. Yeah, it's not the best song on the album, but it's my daughter's favourite as well, which is weird. Yeah. And this guy came up specifically after the gig and said, "I was I was expecting to hear something going on." So I think I, what I'm going to do with that is pretty much what I did with If Only, because I mean, we like If Only as the album version, but what I've done is I've given it more of a. Yeah, it, it can be played in a club as well as at home now so i've got to put some of a dance thing to it i think i think it's it's got more texture now as a yeah. song yeah absolutely um i think on hindsight sorry mate i think on hindsight we would have really loved to have done our own album you know and, and been yeah. more in control of it rather yeah than, yeah 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 than, than giving it to somebody else because the, the promise is so far different than all the rest of them uh, it, yeah. because it's all electronic and we've got guitar all over the place on the others. And I think we were do, do, being a little bit, uh, what do you call it, um, adventurous, if, if you like, in in asking Preston Heyman, who played drums with Kate Bush and uh, loads of other big artists. Uh, our uh, producer at the time, Ben, had obviously just finished working with these people and we had Phil Spaulding from the Toya Wilcox band and he played with Kate Bush as well. So we had these really brilliant musicians working on the album, you know. And I think what we were, on hindsight, I think we could have done it electronically, like more like OMD and more like Depeche Mode, if we'd have been, been left to our own resources, as it were. Mm. Well, I think also, I think, you know, we, before the, uh, we got left by the record company or, or kicked off the label, basically. Um, we, we started our second album and there were some great tunes on there. And I think, you know, we, we got um, a guy called Dave Allen who did the Dare album with Human League, just, just at a demo stage with him. And there was some interesting stuff coming out of that, but we, it never really saw the light of day. I still think there's probably tracks there that Clive and I might reissue. I don't know, maybe, yeah. uh, maybe re-look at again. Um I don't know. Maybe it was just meant to be, you know, who knows? With the release of Napoleon Dynamite, the promise was introduced to another gen to basically another generation. Yeah. What was it like having your song featured in an and basically an iconic movie? And now people hear that song and associate it with the movie. And it's also like with my kids, they just half the time don't know who I'm talking to through this podcast. <laughs> yeah. They heard this song like, oh, that's on Napoleon Dynamite. I really like yeah. that band. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. I, th I think, um, you know, at, at the time, because the film, you know, no nobody knew whether it was going to be a big hit movie or whatever, you know. And um, when we were approached, um, you know, we, we get approached a lot of a lot of times for, you know, from the rep, from uh, our publishers and stuff like that, um, from Cobalt, for things that come up. And, you know, the promise has been used 
in lots and lots of stuff like Russian Doll, uh, Sex Education. Um, who, what else? It was a show called Grandfather that ran. Just- Grandfather, this, this, you know. But I mean, I think it took us all a bit by surprise how massive the um, the, the the film became. And uh, yeah. I think yes, there is a younger generation like your kids yeah. that go, "Wow, yeah, I know that song." You know, I think that's brilliant when we're doing gigs and stuff, and the young guys come up to us like with the mum and dads, and they say. You know, we've got a new fan and stuff like that. I think it's it's really fantastic. And even if it's just for that one song. And I think when you when you mentioned there are other great songs on there, we what we did was we got we at the time we got the promise and the record company had told us that we'd we'd only got this one record, uh one hit, if you like, on the album. We actually got new management to kind of deal with that. We 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 decided to get um Virgin helped us get new management, so we got outlaw management who been successful with Tears for Fears in America. And that was the reason, because it was going, the, the way that The Promise became a hit, by the way, is our our keyboard player, Michael Floreal, he, his cousin was going to live in San Francisco and the 12-inch had been released it, just after New Order. Uh, actually, you remember that, oh, well, you know, the, the bit, what's, uh, Blue Monday, uh, it, it was after Blue, Blue Monday had become the biggest 12-inch vinyl record of all time. Uh, and so Virgin Records decided that The Promise was going to be a 12-inch record as well. So it was released first on 12-inch in the UK. So Michael's cousin was going to live in San Francisco. Nothing to do with the industry, nothing to do with the music industry. He went out there, engineered, I forget what he was doing, but we gave him a 12-inch record to take out with him. And he stumbles upon Live 105 in San Francisco, which was the biggest 80s radio station at the time. And it was in the t- at the time when you could actually walk into a record uh, or into a radio station and and give the, give it to the receptionist and say, "Can you please give it to your to your DJ?" Uh, and so that's what he did, and they started playing it. And of course, you know what it's like in America. It's diff- the, the difference between America and the UK is in the UK you have to sell records. Here in America, you have to be on the radio. In your, you have to be on commercial radio. So we we started getting loads of radio play here, and of course it went to number eleven on the major chart, number one on the dance chart. I remember we were having lunch with uh, was it Johnny H Jazz? We were having lunch with, and we we were with the yeah. head of head of Virgin Dance, and uh, she, what was she, she called? No, yeah, yeah, she was a lovely girl. I remember. She was. She got up at the end of the meal and she said, "I've got, I've got to raise a toast." And we thought it was going to be Johnny H. Jazz because they were in the chart at the same as us, same time. And we thought that she was going to toast them going to whatever they were doing in the charts or whatever. But she stood up. She says, "Just want to congratulate. When in Rome, we've just gone to number one on the dance charts." So wow. And they were lovely. Johnny H. Jazz were great as well. You know, they were they were congratulating us and everything else. And so I, I still think they hate jazz though. The pair they hate jazz probably. still. But they, de- they yeah. don't. They love us now because because uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we beat them to number one on the dance chart. <laughs> Clive, in 2013, you released a soul album called Independence, which if listen if our listeners haven't heard it, it's it features some great songs like Just Another Love Song. So I always falling, falling when you should be climbing. Mountain. Now you talk freedom, you can't stop talking, you not stop me 
I'd have to say that Invisible is my favorite track on the album. Like me, if our listeners are just discovering your soul album right now, do you have any tracks that you would recommend to them? Ooh. I mean, I mean, Invisible is a good one because it's all about people being invisible behind the keyboard. It's that the song is all about the invisible bullies, you know. So I think as a message, uh, I think it's uh, for, for right now, it's, uh, I think Invisible has to be the one. But then Fall is, is a great favourite of mine as well. It's, it, 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 uh, it, um, I think that's, an, it, for me, it's a, a good one, a nice one to sing. I've not sung any of those for a long time because I've been concentrating on the Bo, Bo Leisure stuff, but I do understand that, that, that it was a great opportunity to skip away from when in Rome for a bit and, and, and you know, to, to, to do my own stuff. And that was a chance meeting the way that happened. I didn't intentionally go away from Bo Leisure and say, well, I, oh, I, I want to write myself a solo album. I was actually working in a studio. Uh, in, I was manager of a studio in um, a place called Alderley Edge in Cheshire. Uh, and I met this guy called John Brooks, who was also having a studio built right around the corner from where I lived in Stockport. And uh, <clears throat> I met up with him and we started writing together. We just got on really, really well. And we just did that one thing. And then at the same time, just after we'd finished that album, we went out to uh, the Philippines. Remember that, mate? We were out in the Philippines uh, in yeah. 2013 as well. So I, I just finished that album. We went out to do the When in Rome thing. But it was a, for me, it was a great exercise to be just to hop off, of, hop, hop off the Wedding Rome train for a minute, and and it's like writing a book, like a, writing a solo book, if you like, which I did as well, which got banned by the Act Keyboard. <laughs> 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 There's another story. We won't go. We won't go there with no, that let's one. Let's not go there. <laughs> so what kind of led up to this? Uh, try to track you guys down for an interview. Was we recently spoke with an upcoming artist, Julian Shaw Taylor, who has his yeah. own solo album. Yeah. And he said he's never heard of, he, he was telling us the story how he's never heard the song The Promise before. He's really not familiar. He heard it. He he found it to be really good. But he said that he found the other stuff that you were playing to be amazing. And he was blown away by the new material that you were playing. Is, is there a new album on the way or any new material? We're going song by song. Right yeah. yeah. We're, taking okay. our t- we're taking our time with bits. There's yeah. um, so many artists that of the same genre as us we put an album out and no one really wants to sort of indulge on it straight away so we're sort of i think we're taking our time and track by track we've got a couple of new tracks which we do live um and this you know I've, i've just come back from doing these gigs with clive in in the states um and we've come up with some new ideas for new material. So basically, I think it's going to be watch this space, you know? Yeah. Um, we wrote a track with the, the, the new track, the new song, the new single, if you like, is going to be, and we're going to, we want to do this properly. As Andrew just said, then, you know, without the, you, you know, when you think of the bands that have released albums over the last few years, Berlin released one, Missing Persons released one, blah, blah, blah. But what's missing is the record company marketing, you know, mm-hmm. record companies spend double the amount of the cost of the making of the record in marketing. So if you're making your own record, you know, it's all right to do it as a hobby, but if you want to make money out of it, you've got to be somewhere along the line, you have to be 
distributed, if you like, by a major label because you're you're competing. I mean, I, I I'm I'm on the whatever it's called, the Billboard thing, the the uh, the Grammys. I'm part. Of, I, I'm a member of the Grammy thing, mm-hmm. right? But it's impossible for me to get any, anywhere near. I mean, you know, even even the pro, you know, if 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 they all of a sudden brought out a a new category to say a song from the eighties is one of the greatest songs of all time. I don't know, and 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 the promise is up there. It still would be a struggle for me to get up there because I, they send me this big publication. It's all beautiful color and stuff like that, and the artists that are going to get the Grammys have already got double page spreads in there and stuff and their new album is out here and stuff nominated for this blah 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 and and you've got Kanye West is the greatest example of you've got to be in it to win it because he's won 21 Grammys and and you know what I would put the promise against any one of his songs (laughs) so the the newest track that I'm familiar with is your single to fix us rest me once again how long will it take Is that the newest one that's available? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's still not really finished yet because we're sorting the video and things for it at the moment. So. Yeah, we just want to get everything in place. I think that's the, that's the thing. As I was saying, the marketing thing, it's such a – we think it's such a great song. It was written by a guy called the, – the actual music was written by a guy called Colin Wood who, who, who plays guitar with us sometimes. Uh, he's a really lovely guy and he lives in um, Long Beach and I've worked with him on other projects before and he just sent me this tune and I rearranged it but cut and pasted the de- the verses in different places and everything else and and then Andrew and I wrote uh, the lyrics to it uh, and we, we got when you asked about the feeling we got about the, the, the I did get the when I first sang that the verse and the chorus to the promise I did get the feeling that it was something different of course you don't know if you've not had a hit before you don't know what kind of mm-hmm. no yardstick to gauge it by but um, I did, did when I first sang it and I'm sure when Andrew received the cassette he thought oh it kind of pricked his ears up a little yeah, bit yeah. obviously because yeah. he wrote the second verse so um well, after after hearing what's available right now to to fix this, I think there was like a YouTube link that was out on one of your Facebook pages. Yeah. Hearing that, it's it's an amazing song. I'm really looking forward to hearing more of it. Yeah. Sounds like it's going to be a piece by piece. Yeah. Now, is the new name of the band? Is it Farrington Man? You know what? We we we, we now own the trademark in Canada, so we we when in Rome in Canada. So whenever we tour Canada, Canada we can call ourselves when in Rome. Well, that's good. Still, but still, here we 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 have to be very. We're having a new logo designed at the moment that incorporates exactly what the court injunction says. We have to call it. There's fifty percent font shit going on in there and everything else. So we have to ad, 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 adhere to that because none of us want to be dragged into uh, federal court again and see those pictures yeah. of Michael Jackson all the way along the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it sounds like you're getting some new material to release on the way. You just got wrapped up a few dates for a, a tour for yep. 20 up the upcoming year, 2023. Any plans for a tour? I know I've seen you guys on the lost eighties tour. 
Yeah. It'd be great to see yeah. you guys do more than just a song or two. Yes, that was yeah. one of the reasons we stepped away from the Lost 80s tour for that very reason to do it too. So we we could put our own tour together. So there is there is plans to do a more extend. These three last three shows that we did really were to test the new the the, the water with because we're rebranding. Yeah. You know, we're having a new mm-hmm. logo done. We're, we, it's a whole new approach. We own our own uh, digital mixer now, the Behringer XR32, which allows us to program the sound before we even get to the gig. Al Judd does our sound. He does Devo. He's the keyboard tech for Mother's Boff, and he's, uh, he does the sound for a band called Above and Beyond, uh, uh, Information Society, The, the Fix. fix. So Al's, and he only just lives, I was supposed to be going to lunch with him today, but I'm going with him on Monday. So because we got this interview, but um, he's, so, he's such a brilliant guy. He's come on board and he programs everything for us. So we we set the stuff up. We set a PA system up with our new digital mixer, set the sound up. It's exactly what the big bands do at SIR in LA. They set all the gear up, do all the sound in the, in, get all the sounds right, get the levels right and everything before they even get to the gig. So when you get the, to the gig, all the levels are sorted out. All you've got to do is pump it up to the size of the room. So that's the way we've decided to do it. We've decided to keep everything in-house. We, we, we were tired of going to places where things were not, you know, not correctly set up. We've, been, we've done the Microsoft Theatre where the monitors are all over the place. We've got two microphones, one's over there, one's over here. We're supposed to be stood together in the middle. And, and the, the, the people have had the, well, according to, our notes the people have had the uh the stage plot where things should go but we're just about to go on stage and it's not in the position where you're supposed to do it so me and andrew were like let's shift shifting the the monitors into the right place just before the stage revolves around to the front so uh, but the next year we got it right because of that but this year we got it even more right because we actually supply all of the stuff the monitors the microphones even the lighting now we provide ourselves i'm actually programming lighting and video for, to match the, the the set, any band that believes that they can do it just on the music is it's, it's a bit foolish. But but uh, you have to have the look, whether you've got the great clothes on, whether you've got what something something that people relate to, you know, and, and go, wow, did you see what he was wearing, or did you see the lighting? Oh my god! And 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 so we actually control all of that. I'm actually MIDI programming all the lights. So so what will happen is. All the music will kick off the lights. Not so, it's not sound to light. It's it's triggered by MIDI, so you can actually trigger any any light with any kick. Say, for instance, okay. I, wanted to, I wanted to do the strobes to the kick drum. I can just make the kick drum hit the strobes, and the snare will hit the blues, and uh, you get, so all of that, and it, it all ties in with the show. So I, I think we're creating a theatrical production more than a. Well, if I didn't want to see you guys before, like when I just saw you do the promise on the Lost Eighties tour. Now I really want to see your guys' uh, new new set and the longer songs. Good. Good. Yeah. Julian Good. said nothing but greatness about how, how amazing you guys are, are live. Now I'm like, I got to see you guys live. Yeah. So hopefully Great next job. year we, you guys can tour out a little bit more. Um, yeah. We're located in Salt Lake City. It's a huge new wave town. I think you guys would do very well over here. Yeah, we we'll look forward to coming back to Salt Lake City. It's oh, yeah, yeah, we miss it. Yeah, we've played there twice and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Right. So how can how can our listeners and myself keep up with you guys? What's the best way to to stay in contact, to find out the news, see when new singles are dropping? Yeah, I mean, look at the web, Farrington and Man website. Just search Farrington and Man on on Facebook. 
Uh, we don't really do the old tweeting and stuff like that because, you know, mm -hmm. too many people get into trouble with it and you can say just the wrong thing. You know, you, you, you can say what what's you think is quite innocent and the next person to you thinks it, it might not think that way. But um, I, I, we don't do any of the Twitter. We don't tweet out anything. We don't we try not to be political. I used to be political on my own little space and on the Clive Farrington thing, but I've stopped doing that now because it doesn't do you any good. You'd, you'd fall out with friends that you thought were friends and everything else. But um, so we, we stick to Facebook and we have our own site with us being actually um, Silver Lining Media in, in, in um, Portland are actually doing uh, the, the new website. It, the website is up there already but it's still undergoing, it's, it's being built because we're rebranding and everything else. I used to do all of that. Now we put that out to, I get involved with the music and getting the music together and so does Andy. Andrew, sorry, mate. <laughs> Andy, no one's called me Andy, Andy for years. <laughs> we'll make sure to definitely put the links in, our, in the show description as well. So our listeners yeah. can, can bookmark it, check it out, yeah. keep following yeah. you guys, keep tabs on there. Yeah. Cool, cool, that's all good. Yeah, so it's www.farrington-man.com. Five, Andrew, I can't thank you guys en enough for spending a, an afternoon with me chatting. It's been great hearing about the band. It's got me excited to hear what's what the future is coming for you guys. Okay, thank you, Steve. It was nice thank chatting. You, Steve. Awesome. Very enjoyable. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, Steve, that was a fantastic interview. I appreciate it. I wish I could have been there. We want to thank Clive and Andrew for that interview. And of course, uh, you can find out more about us on our social media, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Just look up New Wave Music Podcast, and uh, we will see you on our next episode. <music>